Also, somebody came up and said, I want to do this and I'm moving to a new area and we were talking about that and there's a flower farmer in their area that's a very big flower farmer and she was thinking, um, well, then there'll be competition. Do you know that less than 1% of our population farms today? Less than 1%. And flowers, or excuse me, farming is a very unique uh, trade because we have new farmers come to farmer's market and we embrace them. Farmers embrace farmers. We're gonna encourage them. We want them to do it because guess what? If we don't have more farmers in this planet, we're not gonna survive. <laughs> we need farmers. And so when you're new at the market, you're new at doing this, however it starts, it's really not a competitive field in that way. At least that's not our experience. Uh, we always invite new farmers because we want people to be successful at this because there's a high demand and not enough people doing it. So this is the summer flowers. So this, this is going to be a little easier than the spring flowers because you don't have to cover them. You don't have to protect them. Um, they're just going to flourish with all the, the warm weather. This is my favorite dahlia variety. It's called peaches and cream. And we're going to talk all about that. So a couple more quotes just to share that Ellen White really liked flowers, which is so cool to me. Henry and Edson do not neglect to water the flowers. The dahlias especially. <laughs> Be kind and loving to each other and faithful to Jenny. Isn't that so sweet how it She's talking about being kind and loving, and she's talking about how they never neglect the flowers, especially the dahlias. And there's a reason for that, because dahlias are amazing flowers. Here's another quote. He connected the work of God's finger in the heavens and upon the earth with the word of life. From these, he drew his lessons of spiritual instruction. He would pluck the lilies the flowers of the valley, and place them in the hands of the little children as instru instructors to proclaim the truth of his word. So if the flower is used to instruct a child of the truth of God's word, do you think maybe we should grow flowers? I think so. I mean, honestly, that just gives me goosebumps because it's so amazing. Look at these flowers. How that helps to proclaim the truth of God's word. Well, let's think about that. This is about parables, right? So let's think of the parable in that. You plant a seed in the ground. It's dark. It's buried in the dirt. And then what's resurrected out of the dirt? Life. Do we know anything else that gets buried and resurrects? Jesus. And what about in baptism? When we're baptized? That's so cool, isn't it? That's what's happening with these flowers and the life that they have and the beauty and the love that they have is the love and the beauty that Christ has for us. And it's, it's so amazing to me how these things have been preserved for our enjoyment. And the last one here. All, both young and old, should be in the open air as much as possible. 
Every family should have a plot of ground for cultivation and for beauty. Parents, a flower garden will be a blessing to your children. Your children need active exercise in order to be healthy and happy. Parents, it will pay to expand a small sum yearly, excuse me, expend a small sum yearly in purchasing flower seeds and shrubs. This is the council we have to grow flowers. So this one is the Progressive Years, 1862 to 1876, Volume 2, pages 309, excuse me, 308 to 309, starting with um, all, both young and old. Larry says it's the biographies. Arthur White's biographies. Here's a picture of our farm. Larry did not want me to put this picture on the board because this is the fall when a lot of things are dead. So here's our farm with a lot of dead things on it. Doesn't it look beautiful? <laughs> so I wanted to point out to you where I grow flowers because in the big scheme of things, I'm not growing very many. So. This is our wash station. Our house is in the woods here, like right around here. This is our wash station. I have flowers here. This is one dahlia patch that I have. I have another dahlia patch here. And then I had all this patch here were flowers. And we crop rotate um, some of them and then the dahlias kind of have their spot that they're grown in. And then our greenhouses here, this is our starts house. We also grow peppers back there. This is filled with tomatoes, this is filled with tomatoes, and my new flower greenhouse is located over here. So this picture's a little older. So when I was putting this presentation together, I realized I could not do any of this without Larry. He doesn't pick the flowers and he doesn't put them in bouquets but he helps me prep the ground, he builds my greenhouse, he helps me plant them, he helps me decide what varieties I wanna grow. And so it really does help to, to do this as a team, to have help and support. And we are a very unique farm, we're a veganic farm, and there's not a lot of farms that are veganic, so what that means is, is we use no animal waste. So we're not using any manure, we don't use any blood mill, no feather mill, no fish emulsion. So we don't use anything that comes from an animal on our farm. It's an all green farm. And that is a marketing thing for us as well. Uh, we did it because it was our first um, really push for doing that is because we wanted to avoid GMOs. And a lot of animals are fed GMO feeds. That manure is composted, then they can call it organic because it's been composted and we didn't want to contaminate our ground with anything that could potentially be a GMO. And then just um, our animal kingdom in the, of course some people raise animals in a good healthy way, but the majority of this is being done in a way that the animals are more sickly, they're being given a lot of antibiotics or hormones and things like this. So um, obviously their waste would not be the best thing to put on the ground anymore. So uh, we decided to try it and it is working for us. So we're sticking with it. Um, again, I mentioned we're primarily a vegetable farm. We have 16 and a half acres total. So I'll go back to that picture. So the whole farm, 
Um, basically, we have, you know, it goes a little bit farther over this way, and then it cuts here, and it goes up like this and like this. So this whole thing is 16 and a half acres. We planted 20 fruit trees along the driveway last spring. But the flower farm, excuse me, the, pro the produce is about one and a quarter acre. I'm sorry, one and three quarter acre. And then the flowers are only an eighth of an acre. So I'm not growing a huge amount considering the space we have. So this is something that I really want to share with everyone that I just learned becoming a flower farmer. Why it's so important to buy local flowers. So before you go to the grocery store, you see a bunch of flowers. They're pretty inexpensive. You're smelling them. You're touching them. These are great. Um, if you look it up online, they spray flowers a lot. And because we don't eat them, there's uh, pesticides and fungicides and herbicides and all these things that they spray on them that are even more toxic than the ones that they put on the food because we're not ingesting them, but we're touching them and we're smelling them. So it's important to know that if you have little children, you buy flowers, you wanna make sure either they're local or if you buy them from the store, make sure they're washing their hands after they touch them because then they're gonna put that in their mouth. Um, I would go to the grocery store. So I'm selling, most of the bouquets I sell at market, I sell for $20. They're very big bouquets. And I would go to Trader Joe's or somewhere like that, any grocery store, and they're selling these big bouquets for like $3, like pennies compared to, and I'm thinking, no one's going to buy my flowers, you know? But there's a, there's a market, and I'll, I'll try to touch on this a little bit more later too. You don't want to go out there and selling your flowers for really low when they're valued at something higher. So dahlias are a very high dollar flower. So you might be tempted, well, I don't want to sell them for that much. I'm going to sell them for lower. But the market is at a place, and you really have to stay with that market in order to be um, sort of respectful to the flower farming industry. You don't really want to undercut a bunch of people that are working really hard to grow these flowers. So you want to be aware of what like the going price is and try to stay you know, close in that margin. You might be a little bit less, but you want to stay close. So... Um, when you go to the store and they're like pennies compared to what you're selling them for, a lot of the reason is because they pay people very unfair wages to pick their flowers. It's kind of a corrupt system. They um, are hiring um, immigrants to cut their flowers and they're not paying them a fair wage. The living conditions are not good and they're around a lot of chemicals. So it's an industry that, um, now that I learn more about it, you really want to buy local flowers because the ones that are mass produced that you're seeing at the grocery store are not very good and it's not a very good industry to support. So, yeah, so I found a video where uh, people were in a factory and getting in flowers and wrapping them for the grocery store. They had on full rubber gloves and a suit and a mask and like all this protective gear. <laughs> like, this is crazy. I didn't realize it was so uh, toxic, but. Research it on your own. Just Google, because it's just at your fingertips. Yes, ma'am. And then we take those flowers to the hospital. Exactly, yeah, and I never realized that. She said, and then we take these to the hospital for sick people. Or I was always thinking, you know, our little children want to touch and everything, and then, you know, they put their hands in their mouths or whatever, or we're smelling them. You know, there's a lot of chemicals there. So 
This is why local flowers are really important to purchase because you talk to most local flower farmers, they're not really spraying anything on their flowers. So, and the flowers also will last longer. The ones that we're growing are fresh. The one, a lot of the ones at the grocery stores are shipped from Holland um, or really far away, uh, South America, different places where they're shipped long distances. So these are some of the things that we recommend. Um, we treat our flowers like our food. We don't do really anything different. Again, we're predominantly a produce farm, so we are trying to streamline this and make it as easy as possible. So whatever we do to prep the ground for the food, we do the same for the flowers. So we're soil testing, we're amending where it's needed. When you get that soil test back and it says you're depleted in this or you have too much of that, um, we use a vegetative compost. So this is where we're spreading the, the compost is spread on the ground there before we plant in it. In the greenhouses, we put peat moss, which helps with drainage because we have a lot of drainage issues on our farm. We do crop rotation. And so this is where some of the flowers that I grow would be different than other people. Um, we can't grow like the pretty grasses or like amaranth or things that are gonna reseed in the field and become a weed because then Larry won't be very happy. So we have to pick things that are not like, I wanted to grow baby's breath and I read up on it. Don't grow baby's breath in a field because you're gonna have baby's breath everywhere and that doesn't really work when you're doing crop rotation. So I don't grow a lot of the filler stuff um, because of that reason, because they're really rotating in with our vegetable crops. So just be aware that um, some crops are gonna spread. Um, we do some cover cropping uh-oh. Tech support, can you help me out here? <laughs> so we try to do minimal tillage on the farm. Um, Larry's, when we moved to our farm, things did not grow well. So we started out in Seattle area. We didn't know it at the time, but they have the best soil in the whole country, was our first farming experience. So we'd plant things and they grew. And we're like, oh, this is great, this is easy. Then we moved to South Dakota and worked at the Black Hills Health and Education Center. And the gentleman that had farmed there previous to us for 15 years really took care of the dirt. And things grew really well there. They had a lot of hail, which was hard, but the, the plants actually grew well. Indiana, you plant a plant where we were at and it would grow two leaves and then it would die. Larry's like, oh dear, something's wrong here. So it forced him to have to learn a lot about soil. And the, the gentleman we bought our place from, he had never sprayed before. There were no pesticides or a problem with that. However, he had hayed it year after year. So the ground was just depleted. It had nothing, no microbial life. It was just dead. So would someone mind maybe calling Tech or Vivian? Does anyone have Vivian's number? Can you call Vivian for me and tell her our, we need the tech person to come help us that the projector just stopped maybe they can bring another projector um so through we're in our seventh year now and through soil testing and amending are you sure okay it's coming back on maybe it was just hot i don't know um through soil testing and amending and introducing microbial life and bringing life back to our soil, we actually are like growing normal food now. Like you plant it and it grows. But it took a while. So 
Um, like I said, farming, really the biggest thing we've learned is it's about character development. You're going to learn so much, and you just got to stick with it um, because eventually it will work. You just have to tap into resources that you have. Okay. Can I go now? Praise the Lord for Larry Lesher. Okay, so with I'm going to go through all the summer flowers now. We're going to talk about zinnias, celosia, cosmos, sunflower, gomfrina, and dahlias. So these are all the ones that I grow. Um, these are all ones that are started from seed, and we use drip irrigation. And I did talk with someone yesterday that was telling me that they did overhead irrigation with their flowers, and they didn't do so well. And that's been our counsel too, is better to do drip irrigation with the flowers. Um, it's interesting, rain can rain on a flower, it doesn't really bother it, but when you use the drip or the overhead sprinklers with the flowers, probably because, you know, honestly, I don't know why, I, I maybe it has something to do with, what would it be, Larry? Why is it not good to use overhead with flowers, but rain is fine? Right, so it's the same with tomatoes. We never overhead water a tomato plant because they're more disease prone and like it can splash the water and cause more problems. We have a lot of humidity. So kind of same philosophy with the flowers. It's better to, to drip irrigate versus the overhead watering. Um, yeah, it depends. That's always a good answer when someone asks you something. It depends. It depends on your climate, the situation, the water source, and all these things. So some of these will need to be staked and some of them won't. Um, and I'll go through that with each variety, but with the dahlias, you definitely have to stake the dahlias for support. So this is my favorite zinnia variety. Isn't that so pretty? So there's a series called the, the lime series, queen lime series. There's queen lime blush, queen lime orange. What's the third one? Blush, orange, red, queen lime red. Yeah, so the queen lime series is kind of like an antique zinnia, is what they call it. They're very pretty. They look really pretty in the bouquets. So I would say if you're just starting out and you're thinking, what's the first flower I wanna grow? I would suggest a zinnia because they are really productive, they're easy to grow, and they're the type of flower, the more you pick them, the more they grow. If you don't pick them, they just kind of dwindle. So you have to aggressively pick them, or they call it deadheading. Say there's a day that you can't go out and pick them. You have to go and deadhead all the, you pop off all the dead blooms, and that will allow them to keep budding. So just aggressively pick the zinnias. So you start them from seed. You're going to transplant them. And we transplant them at nine inch spacing with three rows per bed. Again, we have a four foot bed top, so that's where, how we do it. And you can get two to three plantings of zinnias in a season, depending on your zone. And you're gonna pinch them when they start to grow up. Um, you're gonna, you know, they have like, say they have three sets of leaves, you pinch them down to that one or two set and that's gonna force more branching when you're first planting them. Harvesting, these are particular, they don't harvest well in the mid of the day. So you're gonna wanna do early morning harvest or once the sun's starting to go down. The wiggle test, who here knows about the wiggle test? That's the funnest thing to do. Grace, you would like the wiggle test. Um, I'll show you a video of the wiggle test. 
and you want to cut long stems and be aggressive, deadheading necessary, I already said that, they do not store in the cooler. This is like the only flower I grow that does not store in the cooler. So I pick these only day of sale. Um, and if I'm not selling them that day, then I go through and deadhead all the dead ones and just wait until our market days to pick them. So here's a couple videos of the wiggle test. So if it's wiggly, it's not ready and you put it in the vase and it'll just droop. See how wiggly it is? That means it's not ready to harvest. So just go around and wiggle your flowers and see how that one's more stiff. So that's the one you wanna harvest. And then you do a nice long stem. I'm trying to do this with one hand in video, so it's a little hard to do. And then you just literally use your hand and strip off the leaves and then you have a nice long zinnia for a bouquet. So always do the wiggle test. I'll get in a hurry and one will look so ready. I'm like, I don't need to do the wiggle test. I know this thing's ready and I clip it and then So you have to do the wiggle test because sometimes it's deceptive. Yes. Um, no, not necessarily. You know, I can't say for sure if that, I mean, I'm sure it, it would be better for them to be more dry, but our situation because of our climate and the summer and the timing and all these different variables, I'll just put the, I'll clip them. And if they're a little damp from the dew, I'll put them in the shade or a place that they can just sort of dry a little bit. You know, sometimes you have to pick in the rain and so you pick them and then you try to put them somewhere dry and let them dry a bit before you make your bouquet. Sometimes you just do the best you can with what you have. Ideally, you could wait, but if you wait too long, then it's going to be too hot, and they don't like the heat uh, to be picked in the heat either. So it's kind of a happy medium there. So celosia or coxcomb, anybody here heard of this cool flower? It's such a weird flower, and there's so many different varieties, hundreds of varieties of this flower. Some are these big kind of brainy looking things. Others are like long, thin grass looking things and they're beautiful in color. They make a really good dried flower. So these also are from seed. You're going to do nine inch spacing. Two to three plantings in a season are possible. They also need to be pinched for branching. Early morning harvest is best. These are not as um, temperamental as like the zinnia. So if I run out of time in the morning, I will pick these a little later. Uh, you do want to be careful to pick these before the colors fade. I found this out kind of the hard way where I'm kind of waiting, thinking they're going to get bigger and bigger. And then if you wait too long when they start to go to seed or the flower color will start to fade, if you're gonna be drying them, you really wanna pick them before that. So try to pick them before the color fades or they start to go to seed. And then um, for fresh flower arrangements, they store well in a cooler. Similar to the other dried flowers we spoke about, for best uh, color retention and best drying, you wanna pick them and then go ahead and hang them upside down and put them in a dry place without putting them in water first. Cosmos. I love Cosmos. Anyone here grow Cosmos? They're such a cool plant. They, their leaves are kind of spiky, like really whimsical flower. They're wonderful flowers. 
So um, these get really tall, and these are ones I struggle with if you don't stake them or support them in some way. Um, they'll fall over, but they become like these little trees, the cosmos trees. So um, I, I recommend growing them if you can. Um, you can get up to two plantings per season in our area of the world. You do want to pinch these as well to force the branching. Very similar, you know, pretty much every flower, it's going to be better to harvest them early morning if possible. But uh, Stanaby's farm was sharing with me, you just run out of time. I mean, how do you do that? And the reality is, is you do. Some flowers are just going to have to harvest into the morning and in afternoon. And I would say the ones that are more delicate in my experience of trying to do uh, dawn and dusk would be the dahlias and the zinnias. The rest, if you have to push them a little later, then they don't seem to be as sensitive. These store well in a cooler, and these also require deadheading. If you just leave that one beautiful plant to grow and you never pick the flower and you never deadhead it, it will peter out. If you aggressively pick it, it will make flowers over and over and over again. And I remember my first year ever growing them, um, I had a friend come out and visit that was a flower farmer, and she's like, so what planting of cosmos is this for you? I was like, I only planted one this season. She's like, really? I have to plant them three times in a season. And I had this one planting that just lasted the whole season. So sometimes, um, you know, just circumstances work, and things work well, but I aggressively pick them. So you want to... It's hard when you're first starting out because you'll see this beautiful flower and then it will have a bud that's not quite open yet coming off the side and you think, well, I'll just pick this little one here so I can get this one here to come on later. But if you aggressively pick low and sacrifice that little bud, you will get more branching and more flowers. So you have to force yourself to cut low and deep and be aggressive because then you'll get way more flowers. That's with most of these. Celosia depends. If it's that real big brainy one, you pretty much just get one big flower. But then they have other varieties that branch. So everybody loves sunflowers. Look, Larry's actually kind of smiling in this one. You can see a tooth in this one. I think he likes the teddy bear sunflowers a lot. He said he did. So I really like the teddy bear sunflowers. Um, a lot of flower farmers will pick sunflowers that do not have pollen because the pollen makes a mess. And Larry and I were like, man, the thought of a bee not getting pollen from a sunflower is kind of sad, you know? So we only grow the ones with pollen because we want the bees to get the pollen. So that's just up to you. If you're trying to market these to a florist, they don't want the pollen, might not work. But we also have to market them toward the bees, right? The bees are important, so we want to keep the bees happy. So all of our sunflowers we pick are the pollen varieties. So um, that particular one is called Lemonade Teddy Bear. It's one of my favorite ones. And they have other teddy bear. At the booth, I have pictures of all the sunflowers we grow. So sunflowers are great. So you can direct seed them or transplant them. Um, because of space and time, I always direct seed my sunflowers, and you can do it early spring. If that seed's in the ground and you get a frost, it's not going to hurt it. If a couple leaves start to come up and you're going to get a frost, it's not going to hurt it either. So you can go out there, and sunflowers can be one of those early, easy ones that you do. They take a while to grow, but they have so many beautiful varieties. Some are just one big main stalk. Some will branch. Some grow seeds that are edible seeds for us. 
some don't. So you just want to go through your seed catalogs and really read the description and figure out which ones you want to grow. We've grown so many different kinds. Um, and I think my favorite is the teddy bear. I really like that shaggy look. So transplanter direct seed, they usually need nine to 12 inch spacing. We do one to three plantings a season, depending how on top of things we are. And I always love to have them in the fall, especially. And those yellow sunflowers and the red zinnias with the orange zinnias look so beautiful for the fall. They make really pretty fall bouquets. And they're both pretty easy flowers to grow. So if you're just starting out, I would encourage sunflowers and zinnias because they match up well together and they're pretty resilient flowers. Um, the cool thing about sunflowers too is you can pick them when they're not open. So you see it's kind of closed. You think of like an eye with eyelashes closed and maybe one petal will pop up or two and you can harvest it like that and it will open later. So this is one of those flowers that doesn't have to be fully open. Um, I forgot to mention with the zinnias, you have to wait till that wiggle test and they're fully open. Um, Cosmos, you want them to be open. Um, Celosia, they have to be open too. So really um, with the ones that aren't fully open of the ones we've discussed so far, it's just going to be the sunflowers. Gumfrina is such a cool flower. Um, this is one that's really good for drying and it makes for a nice addition to a bouquet. And there's beautiful colors and they grow really well in our area too. You're going to start them from seed, um, pretty much nine inch spacing. We do three rows per bed. You can get two to three plantings out of a season again. And you want to wait to harvest these until their stems are firm and again it's this kind of the same i'm just repeating the same thing over and over again with the dried flowers is you want to pick them before they go to seed and when the the color isn't starting to fade and then again if you if you know you're going to use them for drying you want to dry them right away before putting them in water okay now we get to the dahlias so this is like this is my favorite summer flower. How beautiful is that flower? It's so pretty, right? So this is, um, this is a flower. I'll just give you a little story. So how we even got into dahlias, we have Mennonite neighbors that are about five miles away from us that through the grapevine or whatever, found out that we were organic farmers up on this hill. And they just came to our farm one day and said, we really want to grow our flowers organically. Can we talk to you? So we became friends with them and found out they are dahlia farmers and they have the whole market for dahlias in Louisville, Kentucky, which is where we grew up. And that's the city where we grow all of our flowers. So, um, sorry, sell all of our flowers. We grow them in Indiana, sell them in Louisville. So we're starting out and we're sharing information and she's like, I'm just going to give you 100 tubers to start. Just gave them to me. So then you're like, okay, I mean, I might as well try, right? They're free. <laughs> so we tried, and they grew, and it worked. And we're like, wow, these flowers are amazing. And you bring them to market, and, I mean, people just stop in their tracks because they're so pretty. And this is a flower you cannot buy at a grocery store. They're too delicate and they don't travel, that you can't ship them. They have to be fully open before you harvest them. So they're, you're never gonna find these in a grocery store and that's another thing that makes them really unique is you know they have to be local. So you're forced to buy local flowers. 
Uh-oh. So I can talk about the dahlias while Larry tries to fix that again. Um, so planting tubers. So the dahlia seed is, looks like a potato. And when you get it, you want to make sure that the, there's no fear of a frost. So the last frost date has happened for the season. And then you're going to plant your tuber. So you're, we, the first year we planted them, they did pretty good. The second year we planted them, we had heavy rain in the spring, and I lost about 50 plants or 50 tubers from rotting. That's the trickiest part is they tend to rot if it's too wet. So um, what Larry did the third year is he hilled them just like you would a potato. He made hills and mounds with the tractor, and we planted into the hills, and I had zero rotting this last year. So you just have to either put them in a place that drains well or make hills and plant into hills. It works. It worked for us pretty good. So um, the spacing on them is 12 to 18 inches. So you need a good, uh, you know, at least a foot in between each plant. And with our four foot beds, we just do two rows per bed, and we stagger them. And then um, you want to make sure. And if you come by the booth, I can show you in more detail because I've got tubers over there. You want to make sure the eye of the tuber, if you think of a potato, when it starts to sprout, they call that the eye of the potato, the tuber's the same thing. So when the little eye starts to sprout, you want to make sure that sprout is facing up when you plant it. So say the little sprout's here, you're going to plant it like this. They don't have eyes on the actual tuber like a potato does. It's at the top of the neck. Right, so what Larry said is the, the eye isn't, going to be like in the middle of the tuber. It's only at the top, at the neck part, but you want to make sure that that eye part is facing upward. And then once there's two sets of leaves, so you're going to see a leaf pop up, a leaf set, a second leaf set, and then once that third one starts, you're going to pinch it down to where there's just that one leaf set, and that's going to force them to branch and be more like big dahlia bushes instead of one stalk. And I, one year I didn't pinch, the second year I pinched, major difference. Highly encourage pinching. It makes for a bigger plant. And then we always use the um, drip irrigation. Dahlias have to be harvested daily. Um, if you don't, you can go out there and deadhead, but there's a lot of value in a dahlia, so I am harvesting them every day. I don't ever not, there's never a day I miss picking a dahlia, unless, of course, it's Sabbath, but that's known. We don't pick on Sabbath, but every other day we do. Um, so you want to make sure the flowers are fully opened and they store really well in a cooler. So what I do is we have a Sunday farmer's market and a Tuesday farmer's market. So new week starts. Um, Sunday morning, I'm going to go out and pick before farmer's market. And then Monday, I'm going to pick for farmer's market. And those two days will be my Tuesday market flowers. And then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday are the dahlias I'm going to sell at my Sunday market. And it works perfectly great. I ask, I survey customers, how are your flowers holding up? How long do they last? And everyone is very pleased with the flowers. You know, usually people say around five days is a good length for a dahlia, which you're probably thinking, that's not very long. Um, but for what they are, the specialty flower that they are. Sometimes they'll last up to seven, depending. So like the big dinner plate dahlias, like the one I showed in the first picture, they do not last as long.
but they're very big and beautiful. The ball dahlias, which I'll show you pictures of, they actually last a little longer. I say more like seven days in a vase. Yeah, so the bigger dinner plate ones are oftentimes used for weddings, is what Larry's saying, and those are usually a one-day event, so they don't need them to last a super long time. So that's, a lot of them are popular for weddings. So for pest control, this is kind of a funny story. So the first few years, um, we didn't have a whole lot of bug issues. And then last year, because I finally got a hold of my favorite tuber, which was really hard to get, which is that peaches and cream one, the bugs started eating it before I could pick it, and I was so upset. And they have these, these are jewelry bags that you can buy on Amazon. They're called organza bags. Um, I thought, I don't want a bunch of bags in the garden over the flowers, that's not gonna look pretty. And I resisted it and resisted it. And then when they were eating my favorite one, I'm like, fine, I'll get them. And I'm really glad that I did. I mean, it really makes a huge difference. So you just simply, once it's starting to, you know, it has a bud on there, you just put it over the flower and tighten it, and the bugs can't get it, and it's a win-win. It doesn't damage the flower. It's really light. I mean, we've had rain, all these different elements of wind, and the bags don't seem to cause any difference in it. Uh-huh. I haven't had that at all. So are your dahlias outside or in a greenhouse? Are they, they're outside, are yours in a greenhouse? The year that I did the bags, they were outside and it was a very wet spring and I think the combination of the bag and the moisture. So the other thing, okay. So some people are saying that the, it browns the leaves. Another thing I would say is I try like, if this is where the bud is, do you try to put the bag kind of with some space? Yeah, because you don't want it like, you know, here, because that can maybe cause some damage. You know, my experience is they helped. Like, I, it made my peaches and cream, yeah, literally perfect. So maybe it just depends on the climate in the year. I wouldn't give up on them if they did that to you. Did they do that the whole season, or did you, you took them off? And, right, and so then did you get bug pressure? Oh, yeah. So maybe you kind of have to pick and choose. Maybe you could start off with it on there before they start to open and then take it off because a lot of times that bug damage can be right at the beginning when it's a smaller bud. Um, and it maybe it just depends on if it's a really humid you know, time of year, if there's a lot of rain. Um, we had tons of rain this spring. And I mean, that very first picture, and I'm gonna show another picture of the peaches and cream. I mean, they were just perfect. And before, I had bug bites all over them. So um, it might be something you just have to play around with a little bit, depending on the climate. About this size. Yeah. And I've used this size even for, even for the dinner plates. Like, I have fluere in here, and that's a huge flower that really touches the bag, and it wasn't damaging them. So I, I think climb it and then I would just try again because maybe it was just the the all those medians of the or all those um different variables combined you know that don't don't happen all the time so what Larry said just for audio verse is it could be because we test the soil and amend the soil and try to make it 
as healthy as possible, like we do our food, perhaps the petals or the plant is stronger. I mean, that's possible. You know, maybe it's outer, um, you know, awesome. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's, which is really makes sense, right? I mean, that seems logical. You're going to have a sturdier, healthier plant if it has the nutrients it needs in the soil. So um, it's going to be less susceptible to disease. If it gets a little damage, it'll heal itself better. You know, it's always amazing to me when you see like kale that's had damage and then it kind of heals itself. I mean, there's plants have that ability too. And so maybe that's it. Maybe that's something you can look more closely into. And dahlias store great in a cooler. So here's a little video of um, the dahlias with the bags over them. So marin is a variety on the right, and I'm going to have tubers of that for sale at, at my booth with all the, it's a pretty orange color. So the bugs really tend to like the whites, the whites and the creams, that there's um, an attraction that the bugs have to that color. The reason why you don't see any bags on the marin is because I have no bug pressure on the marin. Um, but the, this is the white bald dahlia that you see there is called Rycroft Jan and the bugs loved it. And so when I put the bag and then I take it off and it's this beautiful, perfect flower with not a single bug bite on it, I'm sold all these bags now. I use them all the time for the, the white dahlias. Um, so you just, basically what I do, you know, say this is the flower and the bag's on the flower. I pick the flower and then I take the bag off. I even will store the bags on top of these stakes. Like if I have too many things going on and I don't want to necessarily go back and then bag the, the next buds yet, I want to get the flowers picked and in the cooler, then I'll go back and I'll re, you know, bag the buds that are the newer buds. And it's just a constant daily thing. I'm taking them off and putting them on. And then um, I said that the bags don't cause any damage, but apparently I'm wrong depending on your climate and situation. So you know, don't expect it to be perfect. Uh, my experience has just been that it's worked really well. So this is the cool tuber. So this is a little video of what they look like. So I got one tuber. So this is one tuber here. I plant that in the ground. It makes a big stalk. It grows flowers all season. I pick and pick and pick and pick so many flowers. And then the frost comes, it dies back the plant. It's laying there, you know, it's willows, its leaves are brown and dead. You cut it off, you gently dig it up, and you've got 10 to 20 more tubers connected to that one tuber you started with. So it's the gift that keeps on giving. It's, it's so awesome. Um, so your one seed then turns into 10 to 20 seeds that you can give to friends, you can sell them, you can replant them. Like this peach and, peaches and cream variety, that's my favorite. They're kind of expensive, which, uh, you know, starting out you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to pay $12 for one tuber, but it's such a pretty flower. So I bought like three, and then the next year I had like 30, and then this year I have like 60. I'm hoping for this next season I'll have 100. And so that's sort of how you build your own stock with the dahlias. It's really fun. And then you can trade. I'm trading with a few people here this year that grow dahlias. They messaged me, hey, which ones are you bringing? Can I, I'll bring some and we'll trade. And that's a really fun thing to do too. Um, 
So I mentioned digging after the frost, if possible. It's not always possible to do that with time and just different things. They tend to store better if you wait for them to die with the frost and then give it a few days to kind of um, harden off or cure in the ground after the plant has died. Um, you're going to use a fork and you do have to be gentle because the necks of them will break off from that big clump. So if you want to get all your tubers out of that clump, you want to use a fork and you want to do it really gently. And then there's two different methods and I've tried them both and it really depends on your storage area. If you have a humid storage area and that's not really cool, I would recommend digging them, spraying them, dividing them, and storing them already pre-divided. If, um, if it's not a very, uh, if it's more of a dry storage area, which ours is, just where we have them in our basement, we have a dehumidifier down there, it's nice and cool, but it's more dry. I found the better way for us is to dig them up and leave the dirt all around that clump. I don't spray them off, and I store the whole clump. And you, we store them in sawdust, in crates. And that way, that clump of uh, dirt actually kind of helps the moisture stay around. The other reason why I like doing it that way, because you can spray them off in the, in the fall and divide them in the fall, but it's a little harder to see the eyes. You can see them, but sometimes I feel like, is there an eye? Is there not an eye? If you wait till the spring, the little eyes are starting to sprout. So then you go to, to divide them and you know for sure that's an eye there. Does that make sense? So that's why I like, I like doing it the way that, um, the second way where you leave the dirt on and divide in the spring. Now, spring's a busy time of year and that means you're dividing dahlias in the spring, which is a huge job depending on how many you have. I think I have like 20 crates of them right now that I'm gonna have to divide like probably starting February, like when we get back. So it's a big job, but totally worth it. What else would you rather be doing, right? With dividing dahlias in the winter. Um, so we, saw, we store them in sawdust. I was talking with a friend here that uses peat moss. Um, she was sharing that maybe that retains a little more water and that can, it can tend to cause them to mold. So I would encourage sawdust. We've had good uh, results with that. You just want to check on them in storage, like once every couple weeks. If they start to shrivel and kind of look like a prune, then you want to spray the sawdust in the crate a little bit. But you want to be careful not to overdo that because then you can cause mold and rotting. So just want to watch that. 40 to 50 degrees is the best temperature to store them in. So we have a basement and our guest bedroom is full of dahlias. We have a temperature gauge in there that tells us the humidity and the temperature. It stays about 50 degrees. So what Larry's saying is we get, for Audioverse, we get um, our sawdust from a local mill and they give us a garbage bag full for a dollar. So we get like 10 bags for $10. It's really inexpensive if you have a local sawmill. And if not, you can source um, like what they use at pet stores for hamsters, the wood shavings. You can use that too. So here are some of my favorite varieties. This one, is he smiling there? No, he's not smiling, holding my favorite Dahlia variety. How pretty is that flower? And look, it's just perfect because of these bags. There's no bug marks. Um, this one is Larry's favorite. It's called Cafe. Cafe? Cafe Olay. How do you say it? 
Cafe Alay. So it's spelled, you know, French. So Cafe Alay, it's a larger dinner plate dahlia. It's one of the most sought after varieties. And it's probably one of the hardest ones to grow because it grows tall and it tends to fall over. You really have to stake it, but people want it so bad that are like florist and uh, wedding designers because of that color. It's just this really pretty color and it's a nice big flower. I mean, that flower is about like that big. So those are our top two. Then this one, he's definitely smiling there. He likes the white ones. This is Rycraft Jan. I really like this one. It's a ball dahlia. Like I said, the ball dahlias tend to hold better than the big dinner plate ones. They're less fragile. They have a longer vase life. This one is Marin. This one is the one I'll have tubers for sale at the booth to, uh, to later today. I like Marin because it's a heavy producer. It's, it just makes a lot of flowers and it's it seems to be pretty bug resistant i don't ever cover them and the bugs don't tend to bug them the bugs don't bug them yeah so some dahlias come on really early so we're going to plant them say say we know the last frost date is may 10. we're going to go out and plant them that next week and i might have some that start june some that start july some varieties that don't start blooming till august so it depends on the variety, and then they will bloom until the frost. So that's how that works. Um, where, I'll show you Linda's Baby. This is Linda's Baby, is also one of my favorites. That one comes on very early. It's like one of the earlier ones, and it is a workhorse of a flower. It goes all season long. I will get a big, you know, a big set of them. I pick them aggressively. Then the next set maybe is not as strong, but I'm still getting some flowers. And then I'll get this other set that just comes on again really big. So it's, it's a real productive one. Um, the one far over there is called Spartacus. That's probably my favorite dinner plate because it lasts, it's sturdy. It's one of the sturdier dinner plates. It's a really big, deep flower. That color isn't, it doesn't show it very well with the picture but um, it's the least fragile dinner plate that I've ever grown. So I really like Spartacus. Uh, Linda's baby, Spartacus. So yeah, Spartacus. The white one was Rycroft, R-Y-C-R-O-F-T, Jan, J-A-N. Let me go back here. So Larry's pointing out, this is actually two different white varieties that we grow. This is Rycroft Jan. This one's called Boom Boom White. So yeah, it's a little different. It's a little, they call the, um, they have ball dahlias, dinner plate dahlias, and decorative dahlias. So the decorative are more like these. You can tell they're a little different where this is more like a tight ball. Yeah, these are kind of more like lotus flowery kind of, where this is more like a ball. And for us, in our market, we have found that knowing the names of your varieties, it does make a difference, especially with the florist, the bridal uh, workers. They know the dahlia names and they wanna know which ones you have. And we sell them by the clump of the name. Like I want, you know, 10 Rycroft Jans. You know, they know, at least in our area, that's our experience. It's good to know the name and to try to keep them, you know, we grow them in groups together. You know, you want to keep them kind of together because it's easier to harvest that way. 
you know, you're picking 10 stems and bunching them. You don't want to have to go here and here and here to get that same flower. So that helps with boom, boom, white. Yeah, boom, boom, white. And it's a good one because it's hard to find. Sometimes good would be productive, good sturdy stems because some of their stems are not as sturdy. A plant that is like a taller plant because you, you might have seen it like Lowe's in different places, these little dahlia plants. They're kind of shorter dahlia plants. So those aren't designed to be these big tall plants. That Rycroft Jan is the tallest dahlia plant I've ever had. It was above my head. It was huge. It was really fun because it was like a dahlia tree and it had huge stems. Yeah. So um, these varieties are good for bouquets. All the ones that I'm showing you are favorites. They're good healthy plants, they're sturdy, and they're good for bouquets. Except for cafe. It's the only exception. <laughs> so this one is probably my third favorite, maybe. This is Nicholas. Um, Nicholas comes on late. He will not start blooming until like August, but it's so pretty. I mean, it's so big. The bugs don't really bother it. It's just, just big flower and it's so beautiful. Nice and orange, kind of peachy orange. Um, this one next here is Sweet Nathalie and they have one called Sweet Natalie. That's not the same as Sweet Nathalie. So you want to make sure if you like that color, um, it's with a TH, Nathalie. And that one is um, not super productive, but it's a very pretty color. So I grow that one. I like that one. Say that again. Nathalie. Okay, that's how you can remember it. This one is called Fluere. This is my favorite white dinner plate dahlia. It's huge, really big. Now this one tends to be a shorter plant, but the ones that are shorter plants, you can, what they call, force them into being taller by pinching and really aggressively picking low, low, low. So you might have to sacrifice some buds in the beginning and it will force the plant to eventually make longer stems. So where that plant's a little, not quite as tall, but it makes some really beautiful flowers. So um, what you can do with sometimes when you have shorter, maybe you have a, a, say you have a long stem here, you have a nice big flower here and you have a nice flower coming off here, you know, too low to put in a bouquet. You can clip that off and put it in a small mason jar and I will sell little mason jars with short stem flowers at market too and people like that too. Or you can put them in your house for you to enjoy. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.